Okay. You guys can hear me? You're okay, Dave? All good. Okay. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Speaking now. <laughs> okay. Welcome back to River Girl Radio. What an incredible snowy winter we're having in the West. In Utah, our local ski resorts are currently reporting over 700 inches of snow. I think yesterday they just reported that we have over 26 inches of water in the snowpack, which just surpassed 1983. The next comparable snowpacks are 83, 82, and 84 in that order. I'm sitting here with Lane Parmenter and Dave Stratton, who agreed to share their experiences in Crystal Rapid in 1983 in the Grand Canyon. I've interviewed both of them individually about their river running histories, and I invite you to listen to those episodes if you haven't already. Before we hear their stories, I want to give a little background information to help you understand how unmatched events led to the now historic flows of 1983 in the Grand Canyon. The Grand Canyon now sits just below Glen Canyon Dam. This dam took 10 years to build and began to back up water in 1966. It took 17 years to fill the reservoir, and it reached mass capacity in 1980. Within a few years of that, Mother Nature, as you know, provided the West with some of the biggest snowpacks on record. Similar to what we are experiencing in this year, 19, or excuse me, <laughs> similar to what we're experiencing this year, 2023. Full reservoir, big snowpack, rainy, warm spring temperatures led to a historic runoff on the Colorado River. And the Glen Canyon Dam almost overfilled. The amount of water being released into the Grand Canyon hadn't been seen in over 40 years. And since the formation of Crystal Rapid in 1966, no one had ran it at these water levels. Boats were flipping. At the ferry, there was a sign that tallied the score. Crystal 7, River Rats 0. River running in the Grand Canyon is epic. People flock to be there. If you've floated the Grand Canyon, you know. Rapids are rated in the Grand Canyon from a 1 to 10 scale one being smooth water, 10, nearly unrunnable. Depending on water flows, crystal is rated between a 7 and a 10. It's one of the most feared and respected rapids along the co entire Colorado River. If you've spent any time in the Grand Canyon, you've probably heard a story or two about Crystal Rapid in 83. And so here we are, sharing Dave and Lane's story. Thanks, guys, for being here, and I know a lot of people are excited to hear your stories firsthand. I don't think you've ever shared your stories, so... I never have, no. I appreciate you guys uh, sharing with me and with my audience, I guess. We did mention the fee, didn't we? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> checks in the mail. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, sounds good. I'm, I'm in. So, Lane, can yeah. we start with you? Sure. Um, tell me, 83, how old were you? I was 25 at that point. Okay. Uh, I'd run quite a bit uh, on the salmon. Not so much. It was my third trip on the Colorado. 
the park service said that they would kind of grandfather me in as it were because of my previous experience because uh, typically it would take more trips than that and so I ended up that was my third trip ever on the Colorado River uh, and it was my last training trip and I was going to come around the next week as a guide okay uh, were your my own boat two previous trips that year or were they in previous years no foolishly I did one in 81 and one in 82 which is not any way to train yeah uh, but but that's the way it went and that's yeah what we we're doing so okay and those years were the water levels do you remember they were lower they weren't anything like 83 yeah uh, the trips I did they were I remember uh, the very first trip I did, somebody trashed a motor in Badger. It wasn't me. It was a guy I was riding with. And so it was really low. I mean, three or 4,000, 5,000. Yeah. So overall, they may have come up or, you know, I remember the big fluctuations in those days. They would go up or down a lot overnight. Um, but no, uh, nothing nothing like 83. They were lower. Do you remember what the highest levels they would allow out of the dam um, prior to 83? Either of you, Dave, do you remember how much, like, what was maybe 30,000? Yeah, in the 70s, we had low flows would be 5,000, maybe even three or four times, and they'd go up to 30 daily. So it was pretty big flux. Uh, I remember running 30 and 40 Okay. on those first trips. Okay. But also super low. So, yeah, that's kind of what I saw, too. Okay. All right. And you were the trainee you said on that trip? Right. Daryl was a trip leader. Dave, of course, was the guide. And okay. uh, Do you yeah. remember about the date you guys started? Been, remember when you well, launched? Well, we flipped on the 25th, so it would have yeah, been two June. days before. So probably the 23rd, I'm guessing. June 23rd of 83. Okay. Yeah. Okay. At the boat ramp, what do you remember? I remember a big sign there, and me and my swamper went and you know, we had somebody take snap a picture with us on each side of it, and it was pretty wide. It was um, on the end of the ramp, and I can't remember exactly what it said, but it said, like, hazardous, like big, bold letters, hazardous, rapids, um, enter at your own risk yeah. kind of thing. And I actually uh, we, wrote you're down all what die. it says. <laughs> yeah. It says, downriver boatmen, ex- exercise extreme caution when running crystal rapid. It appears to be safe running far right in Tamarisk. Use your own discretion. In one week, three motor rafts, 30 plus feet, have been pulled into the hole and flipped. This was on June 14th. The, I believe is hard to read that. Mm-hmm. But, um, please contact park rangers for additional updates. So that's what it said on that little sign. I, the one I saw, I thought was big. I mean, it was there yeah. might have been more than one sign. Yeah, and and I do the 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 ramp the ramp was very small because the water was so high up. I mean now it's paved and it's it's so much different than it was back then. It was just a small dirt ramp back then, and there wasn't much space there because that's what I remember. I if you'd asked me before, I went back and looked at a picture of it. It I, it almost stuck in my head that we almost uh, rigged on the pavement. So if people have been to Lee's Ferry kind of know that's extremely far from the water now. Mm-hmm. But I looked at the picture and that's not true. There was dirt between the, the asphalt, but it, in my mind, it kind of stuck that it was so high. So it would, yeah, it came a long ways up that ramp. It was pretty impressive. Okay. And how many passengers did you guys have? I think we had full loads full on load? both. Yeah. So which is 15 plus three, you know, so 30 okay. people probably. About okay. 30 people. Okay. Yeah. Don't know exactly, but about that. Okay. And how many trips had you run prior, Dave? 
let's see, you were a, you were a guide. You were actually the trip leader, which means you had the most experience. Well, I wasn't the leader on this on, on that trip. Okay. Dave, I remember 40. Somehow, Darryl. I don't know if it was that from a story right. or um, that number. I mean, I couldn't swear that's that, right, that's but that's probably, what sticks in my head. I, I bet that's pretty close. 40 trips in the Grand Canyon prior to that. Okay. Daryl told me at that point in there that he had had 15. Whoa. Yes. And Daryl Robert? Daryl Roberson. Roberson was your trip leader. Yes. And he, um, was he from... Utah? Or yeah, Orem. Yeah, he that? was friends with Neil Barth, who was one of the other guides, and I think that's how he came in. Or- yeah, he was a sco- he was the um, auto mechanics teacher at Orem High School. And that's and so the Orem High School was kind of where everyone, that all started from, kind of, you know. Yeah. A lot of the teachers, teachers were guides and guides were teachers. Right, exactly. Et cetera. So. Okay. So it was you two, Daryl, and then was there more crew members? I had a friend, uh, Bob. Just a just an acquaintance mm-hmm. that um, you know we just bring friends down and they just work their way down. Yep, it's kind of a swamper position, is what we call yep. it. Yep, and yep. you go down and work for free, and well, yeah, you work for free. Yep, you get a yep. trip down the Grand Canyon. Right. Yeah. So Bob yeah. got more than he expected that year. Yeah, I got a full <laughs> full full ride on that one. So Glen Canyon was so full; they were letting so much water out to prevent the dam from bursting. You guys are getting ready. Do you remember how you felt? I talked with our manager at that point. It was, it was a guy named Howie Lewis and very excellent boatman and, you know, great, did a great job. Anyway, he and I talked on the phone. I was at the warehouse for about an hour, hour and a half the night before. And he just kept reemphasizing that crystal and lava were really huge and to be extremely careful to make sure and stop and scout it. And and so I was a believer. I mean, it wasn't like I was going to go, yeah, no, we got this or whatever. I didn't have that attitude. It was, you know, we need to be really careful. And and so he really, really emphasized that. He said, stop and scout it, which we did. Yeah. Um, so it didn't didn't make any difference. And we'll kind of go into that as we go, you know, I'm yeah. sure, talk more. But anyway, yeah, we, we didn't take it flip. You know, we weren't flipping about it or, yeah, you know. But. So Crystal Rapid is 98 miles downstream from Lee's Ferry. Uh, what was your experience prior to Crystal? What was the river like? But before we got to Crystal, mm-hmm. flat. <laughs> it yeah, was, it, it was. was. It was so funny because I remember getting to North Canyon, which is just twenty miles downstream, and uh, House Rock is mile sixteen. And I, I just kind of scratched my head and I looked back. Where was House Rock Rapid? Where was it? I didn't. I don't even remember going over the top of it. I can, was, I can kind of add to that, too. Yeah, uh, I, we were floating along, and I didn't know the river nearly as well as Dave or, you know, um, but um, we were floating along, and Daryl leaned over to me and said, you know where we are right now? And I, you know, I, you know, it was the third trip. I didn't, you know, I kind of knew, but not. And he said, that's House Rock. We're right on top of House Rock. And there were, the waves were maybe a foot high or two feet high. Wow. It was completely washed over. And it's a significant rapid. If you go run the Colorado now and do House Rock, you'll, you'll remember it. Um, so it just washed over virtually everything. Wow. What was the CFS when you launched? Well, it was 75 when we flipped. So probably close to that, within a couple yeah. of thousand. Yeah. It was probably coming okay. out. I had, thought, I had read and thought and heard about 72. So I think we're pretty close there. Yeah. Give or take. And it was, of course, coming up and up and up every day. Yeah. And, and also, I, I remember, you know, your question before, what you remember before 
um, you know, just mainly, you know, and you're doing 20 miles an hour. So, I mean, it, you know, it's just, you're just flying down the river. Um, there were um, big eddies and, um, and eddy lines were just crazy strong. You know, the rowboats were having a heck of a time with them. They, some of the rowboats had actually flipped just trying to cut across an eddy line. It would just grab one side and it just suck you right under, you know. I mean, um, wow. just um, eddy lines were, yeah, not a good thing. I remember reading about some of the rowboatmen, and they mm -hmm. were saying that very sort of thing. There were just crazy currents that would just throw you around, and it would make sense that some of them could flip on an eddy line because those shears where the water's tearing past you know, the other, Opposite the other current other. would be extreme. Um, I have stood on the banks of, of high water. I didn't on the Colorado on this one, but the water humps up in the middle. If you're standing right at the water's edge and look across, you can't see the other water's edge. Uh -huh. And I would guess that it was kind of like that, mm -hmm. you know, that yeah. there's so much flow going down. There's, it's just, well, we, you know, just for a, an experiment one time, and this was up on the Salmon River and it wasn't near like 75,000, call it 30 or 40,000. It was extreme high for up there. And we, we were wondering what the current was, like what would normally be flat water, which would be maybe three miles an hour current. And we, we got by a log that was floating down the river and drove by it, and it was going 17 miles an hour in what normally would be flat water. So you got to know that that was doing 17 or 18 yes, miles an hour, yeah. what would normally be flat, flat water. So it was cruising. Yeah. Okay. And Dave, um, let's go back. And how old were you? Um, I was about I was about your age. I thought I had been twenty four, twenty five. Yeah, I was twenty five. Okay, so we're similar we're age. Be, yeah. we're, we're the same age or a year apart. So I would. Have been. Yeah, we're within okay. about a year. Yeah. Okay, and how many you've done forty Grand Canyon trips? Will you, Dave, take a second to describe the Tor West motorized raft? What it looks like? Okay, well, it's called an S rig. Um, that was named after I believe Sanderson's. Um, you know, in the early days, kind of put together a design um, and named it after, you know, S for Sanderson. And it's just a donut oval. Um, the first ones were the Army Surplus, um, 33 feet long. And then eventually they, they uh, lengthened them uh, to 37 when they started making them, you know, commercially. Mm -hmm. And then they have outriggers on them. Uh, most of the outriggers are just J-tubes. So they're a 22-foot-long J-tube strapped to the side of the donut on flat on the water. Ours were a little bit different. We had weenie tubes. So um, I forget the length of the weenie tube, but they're longer than 22, so probably about 25 feet, maybe, maybe a little bit more. And they're rounded at both ends, look just like a weenie, and they're elevated up on the sides. And um, our design came from, um, we um, saw the design across tours, and they used to run that design, okay? Cross tours. Cross tours, and they were out of Orem, so, so we, you know, we knew them. And we thought that was a, a comfortable design. We thought it was a safer design. So we ran our um, motor rigs with the um, um, elevated weenie tubes as opposed to the J-rigs flat on the water. Yeah. And then in the center, of course, um, we'd have walkways um, on top of the boat where you could walk around in the first, in the early days, it was all wooden frames that we made in the backyard. And then eventually we went to steel. And then after that, we decided uh, we need to go to aluminum because it's lighter and, you know, less maintenance. You don't have to paint them every winter. And in the center is our cargo load, boxes and coolers. And then on top of that, we would put our duffel load, throw a tarp over the top of it, lash it down and... yeah. 
And these types of rafts, the big motorized rafts, are kind of unique to the Grand Canyon. Um, a lot of people are not familiar with them until they run the Grand Canyon. And a lot of people row smaller rowboats. But, um, yeah, it's just, I don't know how it started, particularly. I know Georgie Clark. I think she was one of the first ones to, you know, go to the Army Surplus Store buy these extra, these very large uh, bridge pontoons, you know, they used to make bridges out of them. And um, she, she strapped three together though, the triple rig, you know, and, and um, the rest of us, we just decided to just do a single. That seemed it a little bit safer. Better maneuverability probably. Yeah. 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 Get between some rocks easier. Right. Yeah. Okay. So that's, uh, that's the raft you were on. Both of you, you guys had two boats and um, Lane, you were training with Daryl. Right. And, um, yeah, were you motoring the whole trip? Yeah, you know, uh, one of the things that Howie said, and, and one of the things I've learned, and maybe we can talk about as we go through this, is that it takes for a, a, you know, a disastrous event like this to happen, it takes a series of decisions to get there. And one of the decisions was um, that I had to run the boat, literally not take my hand off the motor for the whole trip. Um, so that was one thing that Howie told Daryl and told us, I think, um, Lane's running the boat all the way through because he's got to come around the next week as a guide. And in hindsight, uh, you, you know, to, to not have the flexibility, although honestly, I believe had Daryl run the boat, he would have flipped it too, just because of his thought process. And again, we can talk a little bit about as as we get there. But that, you know, and, and honestly, and no disrespect to Daryl, um, he, he was really heroic later on that day. And saving people, and you know, and we can talk about that again as we get on down the road here. But, but it was just simply his decision about how to run that rapid was wrong. It, you know, it was flawed. The thinking was flawed. To to his credit and to his defense, nobody really knew how to run that thing. Nobody'd seen it at this level. We were, you know, making it up on the fly. But but you know, so so having him as a trip leader, he only had fifteen trips. I mean, he'd had, Dave had forty. Now you know, you've got to have twelve or fifteen to. I mean, maybe it's nine to guide, 12 to 15 to have a trip leader. So technically it was a trip leader, but I guess I would say this. Why would you put somebody with only 15 trips on that extreme of water? You know, you pull out somebody that's had 4,000 years in the Grand Canyon. You know what I mean? Would be my thought. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I think that was one of the steps that kind of led to to us having yeah. that flip was that the decision that I had to run that yeah, and well, to emphasize, too, you guys weren't the only ones that had an accident in Crystal Rapid. There were multiple right. yes. big motorized boats that flipped. Yeah, I understand there were six or seven, and we saw one down there. Um, I can't remember the name of the company. It was it, Georgie's boat. Well, there was another one, too, that I saw. Hers was tied Oops. up. Was it tied up? Oh, maybe it was a Georgie boat. I thought it was, it was a Georgie else's. boat, and they'd flipped two days before us, I believe, and it was just um, upside down, um, just tied on the side. Was that tied by bass? Was that the one you're talking about? Yeah, it would have been, yeah. Right, just as we were pulling. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I saw it too, and it was I just destroyed. I mean, it was just absolutely destroyed. There was a frame sticking up in the air, looked like a flagpole. I remember seeing that just going, wow. You know, I mean, even though we'd just been through the same thing ourselves. So yeah, there were a whole bunch of flips. Um, so you're going downstream, basically no rapids. You go past Phantom Ranch. One question I had was, how close was the water to that bridge at Phantom? Do you remember that? I don't, but you know, high. normally, uh, you know, in most places, of course, it widens there a little bit at Phantom yeah. Ranch, but on your normal width, so call it 100 yards, give or take, 
you know, a few. Sure. Uh, it was about 40 feet deeper. Boulder Narrows, just if you have, for guides who, or people who go down there know it, Boulder Narrows had just the tip of that rock of the top it was sticking out. Because I remember seeing wood up on there. Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, the top 15, 20 feet maybe of Boulder Narrows. And it, that's a big boulder. If you know it, you can look it up online and look at that picture in there of that rock. Um, so I would say roughly in most places it was about 40 feet deeper. Would you go with that? I, I would say so in, in the narrower places, yeah. I remember that as well. Boulder knows that wood is still there, and that's all I could. That's all you could see. You didn't even see the boulder. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, but but back to Phantom Ranch, it's so wide there. It wasn't. It, it wouldn't have been as much vertical. Mm-hmm. It just really widens out there, so okay. it wouldn't have been. It wouldn't have been like you know like you'd think it would be only a few feet. Okay. So do you remember any of the clients on the trip? The passengers, the dynamics. Um. Only a little. We were only with them two days. Uh, a few. There were some ladies from Montana, I remember. And some of this I may remember from having read The Emerald Mile. Um, um, uh, Bill and his wife were on our boat. Bill uh, and Ellen Wirt. Yeah. Yeah. Bill and Ellen Wirt. And they had kids. Uh, I know there was a son, maybe two sons. And I think they had spouses. So there were three or four you know, kids. I don't remember them. I couldn't tell you their name. I wouldn't know if I saw them on the street today. Um, so, yeah, um, there was a girl, her nickname was Hampty, and I'll tell a little bit more about her um, on there. Um, Dave's boat, the folks who were riding with him, I don't, I don't really remember much. So the did guy you... from New York, maybe, but okay. vague memories. Yeah, we only had yeah, two days, so we had rarely had much of a time to um, get to know everyone. And with everything that was going on, you know, there was, it, was, it was all business. I mean, I don't know that there was yeah. a lot of time to sit around and... And, uh, you know, and talk as much as we would normally do that. Uh, Uh, If I can interject here, mm -hmm. I do have a memory that uh, that just spurred with Bill. Bill loved to tell jokes. And he sat back on the right side by the guide. And we kept getting behind Dave. And maybe that's where that idea in the book that, you know, Kevin Fedarko talked about the sedate boat and the action boat or whatever. Um, but Bill kept telling us jokes. He goes, hey, Lane, 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 I got a joke for you. So we'd, we'd have to idle down because the old 25-horsepower Mercs were pretty buzzy and noisy. And so he'd tell us a joke. And so there goes Dave down the river, and we have to catch up. <laughs> you know, and he kept, so I, I remember that. And honestly, uh, the tragedy, one of the tragedies is that uh, you know, Bill was just such a likable and fun you know, guy. If you can get to know somebody a little bit in two days, I think we kind of did with Bill. And so that made it even more sad and poignant you know, when he drowned. So. Yeah. Okay, so you're at Phantom, passing Phantom. Where did you guys camp the second night? We camped at a place that um, it's not really a real camp. It was a drainage, oh, about maybe only two miles above River Wright. Um, We would have passed Granite and... um, I, I can remember where it is. Yeah, yeah I, it, it's down in by, you know, Hermit-ish or down below. Oh, I, I, right above Hermit, in fact. Right, yeah, yeah. Right, um, the drainage right above Hermit. Just half a mile, mile, not very far. That's I've, where it was. I've looked yeah. at it since, and I, for the life of me looking at it, go, you would never camp there. I mean, it's just, it, it, the water is so much lower now. You would just, you would never think to go there. It was, it, it's just not a, when, but it was, you know, on that trip, you just kind of go where you can, where there's a spot that's that's open. All the beaches and stuff that you know yeah. are all covered up yeah. 40 feet. So, Was Hermit covered? 
I don't remember it at all. I, I think it was. It I, was probably pretty washed out. It, okay. it wouldn't be like it is nowadays at all. Because yeah. typically, even in lower water nowadays, it's still there's still wave train there. But you know, it is if it's lower, it's just they're just small waves. So it would have been it would have been probably nothing. Okay. So camped about two miles above Crystal. Yeah. Could you hear it? No. No. Okay. I will tell you one thing. The next morning as we were packing up and loading up, we did something in those days we don't do anymore. We had a bucking strap. And I don't think anybody does it anymore. I've not seen anybody do it in recent years. But we'd tie a strap from the load in the middle, come back, um, particularly when you were going to go through big, you know, big waves. And you'd have the strap. And then you'd make a loop on the end of it and run your hand through the loop and grab onto the strap. And um, we were we were fixing that. Can you do it after your load, and then you kind of tie it to the load, and it just gives you an extra leverage. You know, you can kind of hold on to it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it was really tight. I could barely get my hand through it, and and so we were kind of in a hurry. You know, I don't know why we're always in a hurry on the river. I guess, but Daryl said, "No, no, let's take a minute and let's loosen that up a little bit. Let's get that right." And it's a good thing we did. I mean, who knows what could have happened? But, um, Whoa. but you know, it was snug on my hands, and and afterwards, people told me. They just said all we could think about, because we, we all got in once after the flip, nobody, you know, people got spread out down the river. It was just chaos. And um, people told me afterwards, all I could think about was you putting your hand through that loop, you know, and then it was tight. And, you know, because we didn't know if people were dead or alive or, you know, yeah. what kind of what the deal was. So um, anyway, that was, a, a I think, a one thing I can point to about Daryl that probably saved my life or could have. I don't know what had happened, but, yeah. but anyway. So can I just give you the time to just tell your story lane because I feel like you do a really good job without me even having to ask a question just kind of uh, recall your memories and- yeah sure well let's go down and I think um, maybe on this part Dave and I can kind of talk uh, about what we experienced as we pulled in we went on down that morning and I think it was late morning I want to say it was around 11 or so when we got to Crystal um, late morning I don't know the exact time and you know again we had the mindset we were going to scout it carefully and be careful and so we went down, and my recollection is that we were uh, there an hour or an hour and a half, and we looked at it from high up by the chopper pad. We kind of came halfway down, and then we went right down and could look into the barrel of that tube, and it was big. It was massive. Um, Will you describe the rabbit for us before? Like, so the listener that hasn't seen it or pictures of it. Sure, sure. I would recommend you go look at pictures, but it's hard to conceive of. And Dave, you pitch in at any point here if you've got commentary, but... I'll put some stuff in my show notes people can refer to as well. I've never seen anything like it. Um, I didn't before and I haven't since. Nothing even remotely of its size. It came, the wave came all, almost all the way across the river, which is maybe 100 yards wide at that point. It's pretty, yeah. Uh, it narrows, of course, and that's part of what creates the dynamics of the rapid. Um, and out on the left side, I've heard estimates as high as 55 feet high. In the middle, I would say it was probably about 40, 35, 40 feet. And it's not just a wave. We do big waves. You know, that's not unheard of. But it was curling back on itself. It was folding in like an envelope. So it was kind of like driving into this huge watery envelope is the best way I can describe it. And out on the right side, it tapered down to about 30 feet, you know, 25, 30 out, and then it just died out. So right on the far right, and then the main channel, the V coming into it, funneled you right towards that envelope, you know. And so the run, you know, should have been. So anyway, maybe back up just a little bit before we get into too much of the, the dynamics. But we pulled in there, and I would say there was a line of boats going upstream three-quarters of a mile. I don't know. Do you remember that, Dave? There was just huge numbers of boats 
I remember coming in and there were guys doing push-ups that were just kind of pumping up. Because I'm thinking, wow, there's a lot of people not wanting to go through this thing. And we we drove our boats down closer to the entrance of the V. It literally would have taken us 10 or 15 minutes to hike down the bank past all the boats. It was a huge number. I would estimate three, maybe 400 people were there on this big lineup. Did you both tie off on shore or were you parked well, behind? People the moved their boats. We had to kind of go and jam our boats in between. People were nice enough to kind of scoot aside and let us get in there and tie up to some tamis, uh, uh, tamarisk trees closer to the, to the mouth of it. And then, then we spent an hour, hour and a half. So we looked at a high, medium, and then, and then low, um, and took a look at it. And you could see, I mean, it was, it was, uh, horrendous. I mean, there's just no other way to say it. It was a big rapid and water was going in. I've seen, uh, a USGS, uh, geological survey report that said the water was going into that 42 miles an hour. That seems a little fast to me, but not a lot. And I don't know, maybe, you know, they would have a better way than I would have. It was just eyeball of a guide and knowing kind of how fast water goes and, you know, into rapids and stuff. But it was cooking. I mean, I don't know what the exact was, but. So uh, one question I just thought of is um, there were reports that the National Park got in helicopters and flew over all the rafting groups and dropped notes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you guys I, get a note from the National Park? No. I don't remember one. No. Okay. And that might have been later. You know, I, I did, I've seen stuff about that. And I don't remember if that was a little later, a little before. Yeah. I'm not sure when they did that or whatever, but no, we knew it was dangerous. And, you know, we, we didn't go down there blind or not knowing. We knew that that was a, a nasty rapid. If I can divert just a second now, as we were standing scouting, I do have one memory that's just incredible. We were standing there watching and a guy came through in a 22 foot, uh, a shorty, which just means rounded off ends. Um, and it was a 22. He was rowing. He was solo. Dave, tell me if you remember this, but he came down and he hit the right side. So he must have been literally scraping the paint off his boat. We didn't see his approach from up high. We could just see when he got down to the wave. And he hit kind of the right end of that hole just before it died off. And he hit it with his 22. He was straight on. He ran it perfectly. He went up it and flipped end over end. Oh, wow. So it flipped a 22 end over end. So the boat came down and landed right side up. So, of course, he falls out. He's in the water. It went up the wave again and flipped end over end a second time. It went up the wave, flipped end over end three times, and then popped up right side up. I, I, I'll never forget that. Three times in a row, end over end. I've never seen a boat flip and land right side up, much less end over end wow. and do it three times in a row. I mean, the, the statistical odds of that happening are point zero 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 one, if that. And where was the guide at this point? So he came up right beside his boat, and he looks in his boat's right side up on the back side of the wave, and he goes, Yahoo! He's just floating down. And we're, you know, what do you say? You can't tell a guy, your boat flipped end over end three times. You know, so he never knew. He was underwater, had no idea that that had happened. And I don't know how many of the people up on top watching that saw that or whatever, but I, do you I, remember that? Vaguely, vaguely, so. I swear to you, it was three times end over end. Uh, uh, wow. There are many, some things, you know, I can't remember 15 minutes ago what I did, but I remember that. It was incredible. Well, that's something you shouldn't for, ever forget. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> One time end over end and coming right side out would be yeah. astronomical. So just to clarify, yeah. you pulled in on the right side of Crystal. Mm-hmm. You couldn't see the whole rapid, so you kind of have to walk along the shoreline. And as you were walking down, you know, the boats that were up on shore 
went out of view and you could only see the rapid and the people going through the rapid. So listeners that don't really run a lot of rivers might understand better what you saw and yeah. how other people didn't see that because... Yeah, there was a good yeah, drop. And there were trees in between, too. Okay. There were tamarisk trees right mm-hmm. in there. And the water was running through them. That's how a lot of the smaller boats got through later, is they literally, the guy that picked me up from where I was after we flipped, literally ran his boat through the trees and kind of worked down through. I don't know exactly how, but but he did anyway. So Okay. So that was, so anyway, we scouted and went back up um, to get on. And at that point, you know, maybe we can talk about Ellen. Anything you want to dive in there, Dave? I don't want to. What do you remember, remember? Dave, about the scout? Just, yeah, a lot of boats. There was um, at least two rowing companies there, Outdoors Unlimited, and I know Azra because um, they're the ones who came down Mm -hmm. and stopped me from taking off with my passengers. And I know there was rangers there as well, too, because they'd had stuff going on. There was a ranger up there. I think he probably had a tent up there. Uh, There was uh, two ranger boats there, too. And um, I knew a couple of those boatmen. Above the rapid? Yeah, above the rapid. They were there just for assistance and for, you know, you know, they were kind of, everyone was headed in that direction because of what was going on. Sure. I'm sure they were um, up on the rim and were talking about, you know, shutting down the river, which they eventually did. They actually did shut it down. But was it right after like the next day or I don't remember exactly. I don't either. I think it was a few weeks later because I know that, that note long? that they dropped to everybody, which I believe was dated June 25th, said that they're going to release 95,000. Yeah. And I think that. In the, in the book it said, um, let's see, 70-something thousand um, uh, going up to 90 camp high. Good luck. <laughs> Good luck, yeah. Good luck to you all out there, yeah. Um, yeah, and I guess they were flying over and dropping notes, but I don't remember being in camp and getting So I'm going to say early July, mid-July is when they actually closed the river down. So Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, we probably, probably, probably early July. Well, I I ended up, um, this is this is a whole other story. We can talk about, you know, the, the, the end of the, the end of, a, towards the bottom and, and that, but... Um, um, I believe next week, I went down a week later, and it was, um, I believe it was up to 90. You went down the next week? I went four weeks in a row. Wow. I, I didn't have any days off. Yeah. So this was your third of four trips in June of 83? This this was the first. The, the first one oh, was, was the first one. This was and the then, first of just, four. You, then you had to be, um, I came home and turned around and just went right back. I didn't want to, but you, so had, the rapids, you had to be qualified, and I was qualified since I'd ran in the high water. Sure. The water kept going up. Kept so going up, yeah. Was I, Crystal worse as it went up? Well, okay, so the next week, I believe it was 90,000. That I think it peaked out around 92, I just thereabouts. It was actually easier to run because now the, the river had widened so much there, all that, that um, kind of debris flan that comes out of the side canyon there was covered up in water, and so there was, a, there was an eddy there. And so I remember it just being, it, it wasn't, it was a lot easier. And less boats were flipping at that point in time. Okay. So and, mid, and it 70s was the kind of the most yes, That's kind of my understanding. I didn't run it higher like Dave did, but yeah, that was my understanding. So if I can, uh, I'll keep going then. Yes. So we went back up then and decided to go. And Ellen was uh, stressed out. And I remember she was crying. And uh, that's Bill's wife. And 
Um, and so Daryl talked to her and said she wanted to walk around, which we have done. I mean, you know, that's not unheard of for guides, particularly on road trips, to walk their passengers around a, a you know a dangerous rapid and row through with just the guides. But Daryl told her, and and I think he was right. I thought the same thing. We may not be able to get back in where you can walk around to to get you pick you up. Probably we can't. I mean, it's. So, you know, he just said, no, nah, it's not safe. We don't want to leave you. And, you know, it's not a, a good idea. Um, otherwise, I think we probably would have considered walking people around. That's not, you know, that's not such a crazy Were other crazy people idea. walking their passengers around? I don't know. Yeah, I, I didn't well, know that we I, saw. Maybe nope. Nobody was, seemed to be going through much yeah, when no we one, got there. Right. No they one. were all, it was a big stack up of people waiting and kind of like, oh, what do yeah. we do? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it, they waited for the motorboats to come and so they could watch. And see the route, uh, possibly, possibly, yeah. and yeah. then wondering what they were going to do and their plan. And they, you know, if you got five guys, they probably got five plans. And then <laughs> you go over it once, and then we better think about this again. And what happens if this happens? You know, you can have plan A, B, C, all the way to Z, almost, because so many yeah. things could happen. Yeah. And, and like Lane said, you know, to to let people walk around, you, you know, you're not going to be able to, to eddy out and pull in. You, yeah, you're going to be way down river. Yeah, the little corner eddy where you could in lower water probably get over to get some people. And I actually have spotted some rowboats. Uh, Oars came through one time and asked us to spot them. This was years later. And we did. And they flipped three out of five boats. And they walked their passengers. And then we helped them kind of get everybody back together. And But they were smart about it. They were strategic and you know about the way they did well, it. Well, and anyway. sometimes a rowboat can skirt a rapid easier than a motorboat because they can be in shallower right. water. Right. Yeah. So I don't smaller, know if that played into shorter. it. Yeah. I don't know. So we got back up and Daryl, and I don't know how much of this you guys would have heard or, you know, but he talked with the folks on our boat and said, look, um, this is dangerous and God forbid we should flip. I, you know, I want you to get out of the water and don't try to save anybody or be a big hero. This is just too much water and, and, and something to that effect. And so I think that was really helpful and probably, you know, may have saved even more people just because I think people wouldn't have had the mindset, you know, I'm going to go, you know, rescue somebody or whatever. And um, also, I will say that, uh, again, and I don't mean to disrespect Daryl as I say this, but I'm, in my mind, he had kind of made up his mind about how we were going to run that rapid. He saw Western Rivers come down and, and run it at 50,000. They didn't stop and scout necessarily. They just kind of took a, uh, they got to the middle. They drove hard for the ride bank. They went down. They ran it just perfectly. It was a, a you know a brilliant run. And so that stuck in his head. And I remember him talking about that the night before we started the trip. And so in his mind, I think a little bit, he was thinking, that's it. You know, well, you, you're out a little bit away, away from the bank. You drive and, you know, that's the best strategy. And we talked about that. The, my mistake, I guess my ignorance at that point was I didn't have a super good sense of what a 25 horsepower Merc would drive that much weight and boat and people, what it would do. I didn't, I didn't know that. So I did rely on him for that, and it was wrong, honestly. I mean, the run was like Dave did it, you know, a few minutes later. You stick, you know, you stick your nose on the right bank, and you stay as close as you can. So when we took off, Dave was still there, you know, and we went. And literally, we've never done, I've never seen this done before. We literally went upstream a mile. I'm going to pause here and invite you to come back next week to listen to the second part of Lane Parmenter and Dave Stratton's experience in Crystal Rapid in 1983. It's a really incredible story. I hope you've enjoyed listening. Please 
visit my social media, Instagram. Uh, the tag is River Girl, one word, River Girl Radio. And I'm going to post some really epic photos of Lane's boat flipping. Some of the signs that were posted at the ferry, you can see those. I'm also going to put a link to a YouTube video that was put together and is a really great historical documentation of the lake and what was happening and the canyon from a river guide's perspective. Um, So I hope you take a minute and look at those things in my show notes. I referenced the book that Lane and Dave talked about, The Emerald Mile, which is a great read. And yeah, we'll see you in a week. 